The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 207 of The Real Food Real, we explore how to optimize your health journey via personalized support. In today's episode, Ellie and I talk about how to work within the gray to achieve your health goals rather than look to the extremes, the significance of your own personal carbohydrate tolerance, the difference between fixing your metabolism versus caloric restriction how to see the big picture and acknowledge the sum total of all of the small steps and so much more. So hello listeners, today's conversation is a little bit of a different one. Um, Steph and I wanted to talk through something that would help you to understand how to best work with your practitioner. You know, we really see you and us, the practitioner, as forming a team. So today we're going to talk through some of the things that you can do to be a really effective member of that team. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's an important conversation. Whether or not you're actually working one-on-one with a nutritionist or maybe you want to in the future, there's definitely, um, I guess, a lot of areas that come up over time, like myself especially, having been working one-on-one with clients for how long are? I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's about <laughs> and, seven years. Well, no, seven years at TNN, but I was working in weight loss for a couple of years before then. Um, and, yeah, like I love that you used the word team. You know, I think it's really important to, to work together on your goals, and that's what we tend to be, you know. A lot of people, I think, can often want like a very black and white answer, mm. and I always say that results are found in the grey. And nutrition is very grey because it depends, right? And no one wants to get that answer. It depends. But there are a lot of factors that need to be taken into account, which is why we always take a holistic uh, approach and, you know, don't just talk about food, for example, even though that might be what you think you're going to be doing 
when you go and visit a nutritionist. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I want to tease out with you in today's conversation. But I love that that point that you make about things being not necessarily black or white, but being comfortable with the grey because how often do you get that question asked like, is fruit good or bad for me? Mm. Is kombucha good or bad for me? And there's a level of relativity here. You know, it warrants a conversation. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, a lot of it we do need to get more information, you know, because I think a lot of the, if we use the fruit example to start with, I think a lot of those questions are now coming to me or to us at TNN because of the keto movement. Mm. You know, people have become unfortunately, very black and white in how they look at food. They look at food now um, as a carbohydrate and that, I guess, broad macronutrient group is being demonised on Facebook and on Dr Google and we're forgetting about the difference between refined carbohydrates and whole food carbohydrates, firstly, which is really important, um, but also that we've all got our own carbohydrate tolerance yeah you know we call it that we call it the carbohydrate tolerance test or intolerance test and um we do blood tests to be able to answer that question i think unless you've got like a metabolic condition or you know you're trying to reverse type 2 diabetes or support a a metabolic condition then yes most people can get away with a little bit of fruit Mm. i actually think it stems a little like i think it comes a bit before the keto movement i think big food have a lot to play in this in this idea of thinking that food is good or bad right because how often is food marketed as being good for you you know the organic cornflakes versus the regular cornflakes are good for you but in reality if you're just eating real food it's not a question as to whether it's good or bad for you because all real food is good it's just about you and your situation and your goals and your health profile as to yeah where it sits in that gray spectrum in that gray area yeah, I, I agree. And I think let's just not, you know, lose our perspective and start to become afraid of whole foods. You know, it, you're right. It definitely starts with big food. And I think the banana conversation probably first came up to me in clinic with the IQS movement. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I think I put sugar has done amazing things for our knowledge and, you know, has changed many people's lives and helped solve a very challenging addiction to sugar, but we've just replaced bananas with rice malt syrup and we've lost our perspective about whole foods. And, you know, again, people are surprised to come and see us as LCHF practitioners and be told they can eat bananas or potato or sweet potato or even rice if we're talking about resistant starch for the microbiome health. And, yeah, they they are freaking out because, you know, we were demonising fats for five decades. A lot of our audience have gotten over that, so they're comfortable with their fats, their omegas and their saturated fats, but they've gone into phobia of carbs or carb phobia, and so they look at you like you're crazy because you say that you can have some sweet potato. Like, to me, it's just, again, we're trying to be too black and white and um, really forgetting about the importance of whole foods and our individual tolerance for those foods. Mm-hmm. That makes me think about the level of trust that the individual or you, the listener, you, the, you know, the other member of the team does need to have in the practitioner. You know, when you come and speak to us about how to tailor LCHF to suit you, don't expect us to say no to any carbohydrates or no to any fruits straight away because it is all relative to you and your training and your goals. 
It absolutely is. And as cliche as it is, we want to set you up with something that's sustainable. So don't expect your practitioner, like a good practitioner, to get you to do something that completely eliminates food, especially if it's a whole food form and something that you enjoy. Like, you know, your overall health goals can be achieved in that sort of 80-20 guideline that we always talk about, 80% real food, 80%, you know, committing to the recommendations that your practitioner has given to you. And then there's room for 20% fun. Like I truly believe that you can do that. It's your core what you put in 20%. And my preference would still be food quality, of course. Um, but, yeah, it's it's very grey. And I think that the trust is important because you don't know how your body's going to respond just by someone saying to you, yeah, let's start to have a small amount of fruit or some cooked and cooled sweet potato. Like naturally there can be some fear in there if you've been doing you know, conventional keto at 25 grams of carbs a day or you've unfortunately fallen into that trap of having a fear-based relationship with food, that can be really overwhelming. But you're not going to learn firsthand unless you are willing to make the change. And so coming to the practitioner with expectations of what you're going to hear and then being very unhappy when you don't get that information, there's a thousand examples of this that I think we can explore, that's my, it's a worry of mine because people commit to the appointment and they know where else at practitioners. Most people know our philosophy in just eat real food. But when they have that initial appointment and they are given recommendations to whether it is to add in carbohydrates or maybe to not eat bread every day, like it's, it's a horse to water scenario. You have to be ready to make those changes if you want the health goals that you've shared with your practitioner. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have a couple of very memorable experiences where literally people have walked in the door um, thinking that they're doing everything right, almost coming to see a practitioner to get that seal of approval, that, that nice gold star on their, on their chest. But um, yeah, you do have to be open to listening to what your practitioner has to say and not just expecting that approval of what you're already doing, which is what I often find. Yeah, definitely, especially when it comes to foods like bread. Like I've never met a person that doesn't like bread. And naturally when you um, are going to an LCHF practitioner, I hope you're pretty aware that that's not going to be an everyday food, but it's the it's being able to break the addiction with those foods that I think some people find it really hard to wrap their head around. But, you know, if what you were doing was working, if you were feeling a 10 out of 10 and if you were at your ideal body composition, if all your blood markers were great and if your microbiome was perfect, like would you need a practitioner? Maybe not. So you've really got to acknowledge that what you're doing now is potentially moving you away from your goals and not towards. So you might be given some suggestions that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe it is adding in more fats if you're someone that's followed like a Jenny Craig or a low-fat diet in the past. Maybe it is adding more carbs if you've taken too far of a deep dive into keto or you've become carb-phobic. But you know, we're the ones that are going to teach you balance and an approach that's really sustainable. And for me, that's the end goal. Like what you learn in an in a initial consult, you know, there are going to be some things that you'll probably do more precisely or fine-tuned initially, but ultimately the majority of the, the advice that you give should be 
forever, not just for like a 12-week period or for a wedding or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about the ketoers who come to us and are afraid to integrate their you know, their, um, their sweet potato or their potato or their, their rices, for example. Um, but what about those individuals who have been through years and years, if not decades, of yo-yo dieting? And I don't know if you find this, but I often find that, you know, you go through a 50-minute conversation and by the end of it, all they are fixated on is the fact that you are telling them to proactively add some fat to the plate. Um, and that can still be really hard for a lot of people to grasp. Um, so firstly, I guess, do you find that in your conversations? And then secondly, how do you build that trust or what do you do to get that person thinking more yeah. big picture? Yeah, it's a big one. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely say the reality at the moment is I'm usually doing the opposite. I'm usually adding carbs back in, which is quite a 180 from seven years ago True. when most people thought I was completely crazy for educating them in your fats and um, especially our, our dear saturated fats. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a big one. And like, I'm going to be a little bit stereotypical, but generally it is a female that's got some weight issues that naturally, unfortunately has caused quite a degree of metabolic disruption from that yo-yo dieting and, and starvation of the 1000 or the 1200 calories a day, which is a very typical recommendation in any of the you know, Weight Watchers or Michelle Bridges or old school sort of low fat um, plans that even some PTs, some personal trainers are still recommending, sadly, with their macros. Um, and the issue here is is quite complicated. I mean, firstly, they're afraid of certain foods, so they're not going to unlearn a behaviour overnight, mm-hmm. especially when it is decades for a lot of people. Um, so that's something that I cut that trust element comes back into. You need to educate them on that nature knows best, yeah? So when you look at an egg or if you look at some butter and you give them the example of like margarine as a comparison or, you know, any of the sort of quote-unquote low-fat products like the yogurts and you can teach them about like the number of ingredients, the degree of human interference, they can start to learn about um, label reading and percentages of sugars. Like in my in my opinion, it's just the open-mindedness that you first need to start to experience that firsthand because nobody comes back to us and says, I'm starving, I'm hungry, I've got cravings, I'm eating every two hours, which are all the things that they've lived with forever yeah. because they've been low-fat, high-carb and on 1,200 calories a day, which is basically my breakfast, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> <She's> not <laughs> Maybe now I'm growing a human. But, um, <laughs> you know, my point is is that everyone comes back and even if they're not following, like, the guidelines 100%, which is obviously not what we're, what we're trying to achieve anyway, but they'll say to you, I have finally felt full for, like, the first time in my life or it's the first time that I've gotten to 3.30 and not needed chocolate or I'm not even needing to snack. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the epiphany they have from that first-hand experience feeds the compliance. They just need to take that first step. It's, you know, it's not diving in the deep end. It's, you know, literally walking into the shallow end um, with your practitioner with always the, the goal in mind of reminding yourself or asking the question, is it real food? You know, I get a lot in corporate seminars when I start to talk about some of the foods that we're eating, like the looks on the faces, but is it real food? Ask yourself, is it real food? If I'm telling you something that sounds, 
you know, the opposite to what you've been told makes you feel uncomfortable. If you're quite shocked, you think I'm, you know, I've lost my marbles. Ask yourself, is it real food? Like come back to that message. And, you know, you don't need a degree in nutrition to understand that. But obviously, if it's completely new to you, it's going to be an evolution. And that, that, that's okay if it takes time. We don't give you guidelines that you need to do 100% ever. I'm pretty clear on my 80-20 stance. But neither is that first appointment for you to go away and do absolutely everything. I think we can come back to that point. Um, I want to keep talking about the metabolism issue because the other thing that's complicated here is that we're obviously not going to prescribe 1,200 calories, um, but someone that's only been surviving on so little will also feel very uncomfortable if they see such a huge jump in their calorie prescription per day. So we absolutely have to be gradual with that because there is a lot of damage done. Like I experienced that myself. Like a lot of you guys know my story, you know, but just as a quick synopsis, in my teens I cut out all fat and I became an expert at knowing, like I used to ca- carry a calorie pocket counter mm. with me, like 247. Calorie king? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it's... I saw online recently, like the number of, of like millions of copies it sold worldwide. Anyway, I digress. Um, and, you know, naturally my hormones were impacted because they're built on fats. And um, it took me a long, long time to be able to firstly not be afraid of certain foods, but to not feel like that whatever I ate went on my hips, yeah. which is a lot of people's experience because they, their body is so good at storing. Like naturally humans are, yeah, we're mammals. We've got this inbuilt amazing capacity to store fat. But if you've been in starvation mode for 20 years or even a couple of years, like that's what your body's going to do. It is literally going to think that another famine is around the corner, therefore I need to store whatever's eaten. So, yeah, we've got to do a lot of work to un, undo that. And so that's why the other sort of side of the conversation is that You've got to manage your expectations as to the the pace at which you expect to lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so used to seeing shows like The Biggest Loser where it's eight kilos in a day and we know what goes behind the scene, what goes on behind the scenes in those programs. But regardless, you can lose weight very quickly if you eat very little or if you are, you know, living on liquids like isogenics or if you are counting calories, if you are losing muscle glycogen, if you are losing muscle, uh, I can do that for you, but the damage that comes with that is not worth it. So I tend to try and have a really realistic client discussion as to really understanding that like any loss is a good loss and that some weights aren't going to be of the same trajectory. And I think that's really important because if you understand the mechanisms of fat loss, like you don't just eat less to weigh less. It's obviously a very complicated process to firstly burn dietary fat, then teach your body to burn fat, and then be efficient enough for you to obviously create fat loss with that metabolic process. And we've just got to be really realistic as to what or how long this is going to take. Mm. didn't take you one day or 12 weeks to put the weight on. So you've just got to look in the mirror and be really honest with yourself as to how long it's going to take to come off. And maybe we should have some other goals to look at in the meantime. meantime, Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is that that trust in the practitioner is really, really important, but then also understanding that 
you know, when it comes to, let's say, fat loss in particular, because that's what we've been talking about, um, it's not that age old and oversimplified equation of calories in, calories out. Like it is multifactorial and the end goal is going to be a result of, you know, all of the little tactics and changes that are employed to support your body in burning fat, not just that simple calories in, calories out. Am I right? So do people need to appreciate all of the strategies that um, that are put into place to support that fat burning and, and metabolic shift? Yeah, absolutely. Which is why we would talk about things like stress, yeah, because you could, you could be as keto as possible, but if you've got high cortisol and high insulin levels, you'll be storing fat. So you've got to look at things like your lifestyle and your stress management and your food behaviours and, you know, things that you're not probably, as mm. I mentioned earlier, expecting to talk to your practitioner about. Yeah. But it's about the big picture, yeah. So, you know, like you said before, you'll spend all this time with a client teaching them, you know, all of your goals for that initial consult and they get to the end and they're still stuck on the conversation about the avocado or whatever it might be. I have that, but I also have people that come to me that are quite well-versed in real food. They've probably seen a number of practitioners. They've got a really good foundation. And when I make little tweaks, they can't understand how that's going to achieve the result. Mm. This is actually a pet hate of mine, to be completely honest. Can you give it a little example? Let me see. Some tweaks that people have sort of raised their eyebrows at, like how on earth is that? You know what? It might even be, yeah, I can't think of a precise example. Let me just see if I can do this point justice because – you know, it might be something like slightly less carbohydrates. Let's say we slightly tweak their macros from like 20% carb to 15% carb. And then we talk about some food behaviours. So, you know, no social media or emails while they're eating. And then we'll start to look at how we can create um, better or a more comprehensive or robust microbiome with their individual strategies. For me, that's huge. I think, wow, that's going to be that's going to make the biggest difference if we acknowledge how significant, obviously, what impact food has on your metabolism and your fat burning capacity, um, stress with things like food behaviors and digestive function and gut health. Like for me, that's just like I feel like that's massive as well as like quite comprehensive in terms of the action steps that come out of that. And the question is still, oh, but do you think that this is going to help me lose weight? Yeah. And I just get a little bit dumbfounded sometimes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who've never consulted with a nutritionist before, um, please know that probably, well, depending on the individual, but probably the first 15 to 20 minutes of the consultation, and Steph, I don't know if you follow the exact same protocol here, but that first 15 to 20 minutes probably won't talk that much about food at all. You know, we'll talk more about your medical history, your lifestyle, your levels of stress, your um, hydration levels, mm. your training um, regime, you know, so many things. And I can tell people, like people are looking at me like, well, when are we going to talk about what I have for lunch? When yeah. are we going to talk about what I can have for breakfast? And you're like, hold your horses. There's a few other things we need to get through firstly. And it's, um, you know, like you always say, you've, you've, you've got to lay the foundations. If you're going to build a strong house, you've got to lay strong foundations before you start to look at, you know, levels one, two and and the roof. 100% like you don't build a house from the roof. So that's the other thing. Like I think some of that comes down to the medical model of a pill for an ill. There's that kind of expectation in the holistic space as well that people like wanting to talk to you about supplements or something like that. And I'm like, but you're not even drinking a litre of water a day. Like, like, 
I know you probably don't want to pay money to be told to drink more water, but if you're not doing it, like that's a huge issue. And I do spend time talking about the foundations because they are neglected. And that is where we get the majority of the results. Like it's not sexy Mm. and it's not a magic pill, but honestly, the foundations will create your health today and completely transform your health in the future. You know, you won't be that 70-year-old popping pills and I can't wait to be that person that has lived this way for decades with the acknowledgement that the decisions I make affect my health today but definitely tomorrow and into the future. And I think we get a little bit lazy with those basics because we live in a world where there are, it is very quick fix orientated or we just buy the next program or the next supplement that we Dr. Google for mm. our problems. And I have a huge problem with that because firstly, I have too many people coming to me with hundreds of dollars of supplements and no bloody idea what they're taking and why. But also then they haven't even really been told what to eat. Like that for me is absolutely upside down. You've started to build the house with the roof and it will fall apart. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I love nothing more than those individuals who, you know, we might highlight a, um, a hydration issue. You know, we might highlight the fact that they really are only drinking 750 mils of water per day. And I love it when they take that advice to drink more water and they take it seriously. They go mm-hmm. away, they proactively, you know, buy the pretty bottle, aim for those two, two litres of water a day and they come back to the next consult and they're so excited because they can get through that 3 p.m. afternoon slump now. Um, and they have got that appetite control literally because of hydration. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, great, you've nailed that. Let's move on to something then that that is a little little sexier that you do expect to get from your nutritionist and let's yeah. take you to the next level. A hundred percent. We can help you with all the sexy stuff, but only if you have your perspective right. And I think, again, like, you know, for those that are listening, like do a little bit of a stock take yourself, like, and think about what 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 are you doing? Like, what is your hydration? How many cups of vegetables you're having per day? How many hours of sleep? You know, are you chewing your food 20 times? Like little sound bites that you would have learned from us um, here at The Real Food Reel over the years, hopefully. Um, and write a list and check in with yourself if you're doing those simple things because a lot of people aren't. I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. And the whole water bottle conversation, like if you don't have some water in front of you, like you're going to end up dehydrated. Mm. And um, that's a trap for a lot of people, but it's just, it's a bullshit excuse. It's so easy to fix. And I think we've just got to, you know, adult up for one of a better word and, and commit to making some of those really basic changes that um, might look tiny and, and might not feel like they would help you with your main health goal, but you've got to think about the accumulative effect of all the little changes that you're making. Cause it's kind of like, one plus one doesn't actually equal two anymore because of everything that you're doing. And, you know, there's no point looking at things in isolation because that's not the human body, yeah? Mm. We're a collective system. All of the organ systems work together and you've got to look at that sum total. And if you get good at those little things, if you build the foundations, you know, that's, that's I mean, that's everything. And then you can layer on top of that. Yeah, yeah. 
And we've also got to think about longevity, compliance, sustainability. So, Mm. you know, you don't have to make these big radical changes straight off the bat. Think about those small manageable changes that you can make to your eating habits, your lifestyle, which, you know, as you've highlighted in the end will accumulate to be a lot of big change. But, you know, because you take it slowly, you might not, you know, might not think of those changes being that significant. Yeah. And I think it's not until you experience it firsthand. Like I'm just thinking about an email I got from a client this week. Um, you know, long story short, was having a lot of digestive issues. And, um, you know, really what we started with was meal time, so actually allocating time to eat rather than eating on the fly, chewing food 20 times and having a smaller and slightly earlier dinner. Mm. So not obviously trying to go to bed with like three courses in the tum. Mm. And the email was like, oh, it's like night and day, like huge amount of surprise and like this sort of almost massive epiphany, which I love to hear. But there was, that was all free. That was all like nothing you had to buy, no expensive supplements, just an acknowledgement of some behavioral changes. And, you know, this typically this guy was a bit like, oh, yeah, 20 chews per mouth or whatever. Yeah, I can't believe I paid money to be told that. Yeah, looking at you like you're yeah, crazy. Yeah, and I just love it that it made such a huge difference. Mm. And um, I experience that myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, this actually want, makes me want to come back to this conversation mm. um, just around goals and goal mm. setting. You know, you have those individuals who have their eyes so tightly fixed on this prize of fat loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I both really like to tease out of individuals like what does that mean to you like why do you want to lose fat there's got to be something deeper there's got to be some meaning to it whether it's due to a health scare whether it's due to um feeling a certain way in a certain piece of clothing or being able to do things you haven't been able to do before Um, and i think that's really important because it's not until like maybe the third or the fourth consult and maybe they have started to lose some weight. Maybe they're not at that goal yet, but then you talk through like, but how do you feel at the moment? Mm. And um, are you digesting your food better? And are you sleeping better? And then suddenly that individual realizes like, oh my God, yeah, there has been radical change in comparison to how I initially felt, but maybe just not that number on the scale has shifted as far as I thought it would. So I guess goal setting, you know, that's something that the team players really have to do. Yeah, definitely. I think really important to acknowledge what benefits you are noticing straight away because it's not going to be the number on the scales initially, maybe, but I, I think that the first thing you'll notice is what I mentioned before about the satiety or the less snacking or the craving management. And, and they're huge because that, that flow on effect is, yeah, moving towards your goals. So I think that's really great and um, must say that I love when a client comes in and their number one goal is health. Oh, I just like, amazing. I love just you like- already. And then like, you know, third or fourth is, yeah, I'd like to lose some body fat. Great. We can do that. But you've got your ducks in a row and, you know, you can see the forest and the trees. And I think that's really important because you can't really expect to lose fat if you don't have health. Mm. And um, again, like, if you purely focus on the number and the scales, you'll end up with not a very, I don't think, healthy relationship with food and mm. nor necessarily a sustainable approach because you'll always be trying to look at like little tweaks in maybe from what your practitioner has told you rather than just sticking to the guidelines and being okay with it taking a little bit more time because it's going to be forever, right? No more yo-yoing. Mm. Mm. 
So moving on a little bit to um, what else you can do to be a star player in this team between the practitioner and the client, um, there are a few things I think individuals need to need to become really good at, you know, primarily taking ownership of their own journey. You mentioned before, you know, people wanting to people wanting to have that sack of supplements that they're taking because they've got that pill for an ill type mentality. But there's lots that people can do to take ownership and to really be engaged in their journey. Knowing what supplements they're having and why they're having them is one of them. But is there anything else that you can add to this? Any things that um, you know, you've seen clients do really well that has helped them to excel their journey? Um, I think, it, firstly, it's taking the time to, like, understand and, and learn, like, and look at it as an education journey as well. Like, people that really understand what they're doing and, and ask those questions if they're not sure, I think, have that natural compliance because they can see the big picture. For sure. And, and that's why we spend 50 minutes with somebody talking them through their blood test results versus a GP who might spend three minutes talking to somebody about their blood mm. test results. Yeah, I totally agree. So having that, that, um, that, I guess that interest I love when people are really interested in learning more. For me, that that is setting them up to do this forever. You know, it's not just a meal plan when there's no knowledge behind it. So what do you do when that meal plan stops, mm. which is what happens for a lot of people in sort of online programs. Um, so I think that's really important. I, I love the clients that are prepared for their consults, mm-hmm. if I can just add. Um, you know, it's obviously a fine line because we understand that everyone's busy, but I want people to get the most out of their consult. So mm. I like when they're open to sharing like what they've done, what's working, what's not working. Mm. A little bit of a log can be helpful because we're all busy and we've got, you know, 16 balls in the air and you're not going to remember what you had for breakfast last Monday, but your practitioner is probably going to want to know these things. Yeah. And yeah. a little bit of prep can be really beautiful because that's how you get the most out of your consult and how you can put those layers on top and build that house. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's that care factor, it's that level of inquisition into your own journey. So I think coming prepared to your consult, you know, whether it be with some questions or with some feedback or some ideas for your evolution or for your next set of goals, you know, that is that to me is just a no-brainer. Mm. That's all part of you being engaged in your journey, in your health journey. So listeners, don't be afraid to jot down questions. Um, keep a little list of things that you want to talk about when you're next coming in to see your practitioner because it's part of you evolving in your journey. Yeah, I love it. I think it's so good. I wanted to circle back to something I was talking earlier about um, just for context. So whenever we see a client, they get like a, a PDF, which is a summary of their consult. So usually the after the initial consult, there's a lot more in there because you've had that broad conversation and set those foundations but what I find quite interesting is someone who's coming up to their next appointment um, and they basically are like oh I haven't done enough or I haven't done everything my practitioner wanted me to do so I'm going to cancel my appointment and you know to me I can see the irony quite clearly but I just want to be really clear that we don't expect you to do everything overnight it might sound like there's a lot to do um, or it might read that way if you're a client of ours um, and you receive that PDF. But I, I just love the clients that are, are okay with doing some and not everything. Like they just flat out say, um, to be really honest, I haven't done my, my fitness pal, but this is what I have done, A, B, C, and D. And like, you know, naturally I'm bloody happy with all of that because mm-hmm. any change is a step in the right direction. 
But I just think it's a little bit futile to like have an expectation that you're going to have done everything in a couple of weeks or a month. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it goes both ways. I'm usually told that I'm a bit of a hard ass sometimes. So I appreciate that it might come across that way. But I'm definitely not that way inclined as a practitioner. Like I love celebrating any win with a client. And I think we are here to help you tease out what's next. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you've done A, B, C, and D okay, well, what's next? You know, what's F on that list? And that's our goal as a practitioner to help redirect your focus and fine-tune what's not working and all those things that go through the relationship of working with someone one-on-one. Mm. But, again, it's that grey. It's like set a goal of 80-20 or maybe 70-30. Set a goal that you're really comfortable with and, and stop trying to be perfect. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And don't be intimidated by us either. You know, I've been using this analogy of it being a team, you know, us and you, we're Mm. a team. Um, As part of this team, know that Steph and I and, you know, potentially any other practitioners you're working with have been on their own health journey. So we know what it's like to have to make changes, to have to maybe fail a little bit or not get everything done straight away. So we're not going to sit here if you tell us that you haven't done everything that was on your goals and think, oh, my God who are you? We're going to sit here and go, yep, I completely get it. There's a, you know, you can't change everything at once. Mm. So yeah, we're part of this team and we do know what it's like to be on a health journey. Absolutely. I think hopefully you'll be on one forever. Yeah. Like Mm. I would like to be on one forever. So yeah, I think it's just, you know, you see it in different personality types. Like that's what I find interesting as a practitioner. You work with such different people and everyone's obviously got their own personality type. And I think, some people have amazing strengths like our A-type athletes that could also become like a weakness if it went too far or too extreme or too afraid of certain foods or whatever it might look like. Again, it's the grey. Um, and learning those, those um, traits about yourself I think are, are important as well because no, like hopefully it's pretty clear that we're not expecting you to be perfect and there, there is no sort of pedestal for you to be on. It's just about, you know, working out what's right for you at what pace and being okay with that. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to add one more thing about um, the, the kind of world we live in with social media and, and Dr. Google and, you know, podcasts and all the information that we have access to. Like I think, you know, we're very lucky a lot of the time with what we do have access to. But one thing that I really advise any of my clients and my sort of wider audience to think about is where you get your information from. You know, most of my clients, I always use the, the dad joke that we go on a low information diet. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that, you know, there's no point getting information from me as a practitioner and then speaking to a dietitian who might be high carb or, or going to get your macros written by a personal trainer who's usually pretty low fat you just end up standing in the middle of all this information, going nowhere, paralysed with often fear or confusion. Now, I'm not saying don't educate yourself. I think absolutely listen to podcasts and really do. I'm very happy for you to take a deep dive and get a great understanding of what you're trying to achieve. But you just need to be careful who you listen to in the social media world. Like most people have an agenda. They're going to be selling something. And I just think we have to be a little bit more savvy with who we listen to and look a little bit deeper so we don't fall into that big food trap from the previous decades where 
we have the wool pulled over our eyes and, and essentially become brainwashed. Like I think that can also happen in the health space now in the real food or the keto or the fasting or whatever it is. Like I just think maybe select a couple of people whose philosophy you align with that are also similar to one another and do your research there. Mm. Don't feel like you've got to listen to every podcast or every Facebook page. And I, I don't suggest getting your advice from Dr. Google because it's always for and against or yeah. contradicting information. Yeah. Yeah. This is where it become, that notion of becoming an active member of the team is really important because if you are an active member of the team, if you do understand what your practitioner's philosophies are and you do understand why your practitioner is putting in changes X, Y, Z, then you've got much less or there is much less risk of you going to the next practitioner and being torn because you're going to be able to understand why you're making certain changes and not and not be sort of just conflicted by what the advice is. Yeah. So understand the, the rationale, the practitioner's rationale, and it'll be much easier for you to play, play the team. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So cool. What else can people do? I I love when people know their own history. When people have actually, you know, accumulated their blood test results from the years, they've documented when they've had health issues, when there's perhaps been um, vast changes in their health or how they're feeling. You know, again, taking accountability, taking an active role in their health journey. Yeah, I think it's rare <laughs> because it depends on the client, but often medical history can be quite challenging to, to draw out of someone because the years become a bit of a blur. Um, but I like timelines. Like I'm a massive timeline person because, you know, the question or the statement we get our clients to finish is, I've never been the same since, fill in the gaps. And if you can't answer that question, it's really hard to start to understand what's caused your health to unravel or what's caused your weight gain or what's caused your gut to flare. And a bit like my example before with the food diary, like you're not going to remember what you ate for breakfast last Monday. You are not going to remember what year you had your tonsils out or what year you had barley belly or whatever it is. So I think it can be, you know, we obviously get our clients to fill out an online form where they do put some medical history down and lots of other little um, important pieces of information for us. But, you know, take some time to do that and, and maybe you need to collect some old bloods or ask your mum or something like that because I think that can be really powerful because I think that I end up being a bit of a detective sometimes. Like you connect the dots for the client and you have a look at what's going on and it can really help to see that timeline and to identify what needs to be changed mm. as a result. Mm. Or having that timeline can just also speed up the process of identifying mm. what needs to be changed and, and what needs to be done. I, I've even had clients who have actually gone away after I've asked for historical blood test results who've called the clinic or the doctor's clinic and they've said, no, we can't share those results with you. Mm. Which means it makes it very hard sometimes to be an owner of your own health history and your own medical history. Yeah, definitely. It's a complicated little system that we have here in the, in the West when it comes to doctors referring to bloods and referring for bloods and, you know, who can get access to those. And I hope one day that nutritionists can refer, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, we shall see. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it's given you guys some insight as to, yeah, how to really form that team with your practitioner. Is there anything that you wanted to add, Ellie? 
Um, nothing that I wanted to add. I was wondering if you had any more, um, any more tips for the Gold Star clients or team players, but I think we've probably run through a lot of them. Yeah, I think it's just something to look at with, you know, with that big pink picture angle in mind and look at, look at your health through a, a different lens than it just being about like one small goal. Um, but, yeah, I think definitely educate yourself and ask your practitioner questions. But, yeah, really step up and take ownership of that health journey because I see myself as the guide but obviously it's you that are going to make those changes to create those health results and to hit those goals. So you've got to be willing to make those changes, but you've also got to be okay with, you know, not doing everything overnight and looking at this whole process as an evolution because it really is. Mm, Yeah. Such a good conversation. Thank you, Steph. And I hope to those of you listening, this has really inspired you to, um, to think about how you can be that better team player and how you can get more out of the relationship that you have with your practitioner. Um, if you have one at the moment. Yeah. And also guys, if you are looking for support, know that we offer complimentary 15 minute appointments, which can be conducted face to face via Skype or by phone. So you can jump online to find out more and we're happy to talk to you about maybe your next steps as to working with us here at TNN and we'll we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.